is possible to become free from debt, financial worry, your boss, and your zip code. You can start living a life you love, but first, you need to find your freedom. Using financial independence and lifestyle design principles, you can create the life of your dreams now. There are many paths to freedom, and that is what this podcast is all about. My name is Becky from 20free.co, and I am the host of the Find Your Freedom podcast. Today's interview is with Mario Line from the blog Radical Fire. She is a 25-year-old working towards financial independence in the Netherlands and Europe. She is focused on saving more, earning more, and investing the difference to reach early retirement at age 35. She enjoys her life along the way with regular mini-retirements, where she travels the world for several months at a time. In this interview, Marjoline shares how she achieved a 70% savings rate, negotiated four months of unpaid leave from her employer, and traveled through South America for months at a time, twice. We discuss how to financially prepare for a mini-retirement, whether mini-retirements interfere with plans for early retirement, and how to invest for passive income to retire at age 35. Welcome to Find Your Freedom, Marjoline. Happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Tell me a little bit about how your personal experiences have shaped your personality and your perspectives on money and life. Um, so, yeah, I'm 25 years old. I live in the Netherlands, in Europe. And my mom raised me and my sister as a single mom. I think uh, that has shaped my experience greatly. She was always the one taking care of everything. And in 2008, she got a new partner and we moved together with him in a new house. And from that point on, well, the financial crisis hit. We just bought a new house. So that was not such a good combination. So from that point on, we were struggling with money. Luckily, I was already fairly independent from that age on. I found a job when I was 13, my first job. But my my parents from 2008 on, they were fairly frugal. My stepdad, he lost his job in a crisis. So we only had one income. And we were together. We were with six. So four kids, two parents. So that was a lot, a lot of costs. So in the end, it got so bad that my mom, well, she was really comparing grocery prices from Aldi together with other groceries to see like what's the cheapest one to have the maximum savings. And to name another example, she she drives a car that's as old as I am. So that's uh, <laughs> that's uh, fairly good as well. So I would say that from the age then I was. Around 13, 14, I think that, yeah, I experienced a lot of stress around money. And I decided that, okay, I don't want to have that ever again in my life. I worked very hard already for my age of 13. I had my first side job. I was picking grapes at the, at the local farm. It was, I was paid in cash. I'm not sure if it was very legal, but, but that's totally fine. And yeah, I had a lot of experience with money already. I had a clothing allowance from when I was 13. Because my mom told me that, yeah, I cannot pay the amount of clothes that you want to wear. <laughs> so let's um, give you a clothing allowance. From that time on, I had a lot of jobs. And all throughout university, I paid for my own university. I racked up some student debt, but that's totally fine. Currently in the Netherlands, we have 0% interest on your student loans, which is really favorable. So yeah, I think that really shaped my experience around money. And that also led to me really wanting to have the freedom to decide what I want, when I want it. 
um, and to have the options available. Do you think that your background with financial stress made you more frugal throughout your life and kind of helped you live in a way that you can save a lot of your income now? Um, yeah, I think that because my parents never really paid for anything for me, I need to, to pay. Well, on the one hand, I needed to pay for my college education. And on the other hand, my parents were very against that. So they said, okay, that is bad. You cannot have any debt. And I told them, okay, that's fine, but you're not paying for my education. So there's only so much that I can do. But that also helped me to, okay, I want to live frugally because, okay, I understand that it's good if you don't rack up too much debt in your college experience. So I tried to live frugally while still spending a lot on the things that I thought were important in that time. I don't agree with that now as much anymore. I spend a lot of money on beers and on going out and on clothing and all the things that are now, yeah, I now experience as less important. But at that time, it was really, yeah, it was what I wanted to spend it on. But I think that, yeah, my parents and my experience with their um, situation really helped me to be frugal because I really saw up close how things could turn out when you didn't have your finances in order. And it sounds like you've kind of learned throughout your early financial life when you started making your own money and learning how to spend it what your values were and you spent when you were a little bit younger more on things like beer, going out, clothing. Now your spending has changed. Tell me about the process of discovering what mattered to you and what was worth spending your money on. So yeah, it really was in the first at university, I was like, okay, I want everyone to like me. And if I'm not spending my money, I'm going out and treating everyone on beers, then I'm not likable or people will think I am you know very frugal or cheap or something like that so I was very afraid of that during my college times and after I graduated college I went on my on my first mini retirement uh, totally by myself and there I learned that okay now I have to make all my decisions for myself and I have only well my budget then was three thousand euros for three and a half months I have only three thousand euros so I need to really spend with what I think is most important to me now. And yeah, that wasn't a lot of those kind of things that I found important before. And I want to get into your mini retirements in a minute, but let's just go back and talk a little bit about your college education and you paid your way through college and ended up with a little bit of debt. Can you tell me how much debt you graduated with? I graduated with 20,000 euros in student debt, but for Netherlands, our tuition is only 2,000 euros a year. So that's fairly less compared to the United States. Yes. So I also wanted to ask, what are some differences that you have noticed between the United States in terms of finance and the Netherlands? Because you're a personal finance blogger and you blog in kind of the European sphere. Do you read American personal finance blogs and fire blogs? And, and do you kind of see some differences with our cultures as it comes to finances? Um, yes, I think, well, I read a lot of American personal finance blogs and I love a lot of them. But I think the biggest difference is, well, in Netherlands, we currently are retiring. Well, for me, I'm retiring at age 72. From now, they are saying, okay, age 76 is our current retirement age. And from every year on, there's one month added to that. So for me, it will be 72 and three months, I guess, based on expected life, yeah, based on life expectancy. Interesting. How do they calculate that? So so now it's 76. And so you have a retirement calculator on the internet. 
but it's 76 and then every year there is one month added so um if you next year if it was 76 in one month the year after that it was 76 in two months so every year you have to work one month longer to be eligible for retirement and that is through like a company giving you a retirement plan you're able to use your retirement investments is that correct or um are is there a pension system in the netherlands mm-hmm. so we have a two-part pension system on the one hand there is uh, the government that gives you a fixed amount per month on the other hand there you have private pension funds that you can invest with well you have to invest with if you're working so the longer you work the more pension you get that's basically what's happening right and how does that work with your early retirement plans you're 25 right now we can kind of get into the details of financial independence in a moment but i i've read that you are going to retire at the age of 35 that's a a long period in between 35 and then 76. So what happens in between that time for you? Well, I plan on, well, my retirement number is 300,000 euros. So I plan on living around 1,000 euros per month. With my current spending, I have still have a quite a gap uh, that I can fill in with that. So that's great. So I plan on using that money and also building up some passive income along the side so that I don't have nothing coming in. Based on that, I can last, I think, until I get my uh, retirement funding. Okay, great. So you're going to you're going to get income from your 300,000 euros invested, right? The dividends that come from that as well as developing sources of passive income so you have cash flow. Yes, correct. Great. And I would love to dive into that a little bit more later. Going back to your university education and your student debt, what did you study in university and did you go specifically for the career path that came out of it? Did you feel like you had to go? What was your thought process there? Um, yeah, well, we in Netherlands, we have three levels of middle school. So I was in the highest level. And normally, if you're in the highest level, you go to university. So it was kind of an expectation, not for my family, but also for my peers. And I think for myself that, OK, I have to go to university because the classical thinking if you go to university, you'll get a good job and you're set. So yes, I, I went to university. I studied economics because, well, I love numbers and I love finances. So besides that, I'm, I really love my personal finances. I also, as my job, do the company finances uh, of my employer. So that's a, a fun, uh, fun overlap. And did you go into finance out of passion? Because you were interested in that, that was how you chose that field. Was it something to do with that that's also a higher paying field typically? Or were you not thinking about that at the time you were choosing your career path in college? Uh, no, when I was picking my career path, it was solely based on, okay, I like economics as a, a course in my school. So let's pick economics as my as my major. And then you started your job as a financial consultant and you're working for a company did you find that it was what you imagined it would be like? Did you enjoy the nine to five office life? Well, uh, I started working in April uh, 2018. And in November, I started working towards financial independence. So you could say that it was not quite what I had expected. <laughs> it's just that, well, when you're working from nine to five, it's such a big difference from transitioning from the mini retirement and from college experience because you have so much freedom when you're in college. I think I only had uh, lectures two days a week, so I could really do self-studying and all that kind of stuff. So the transition was so big and I'm really appreciative of my freedom. 
So I thought that, okay, I can do better than this. I can have a better life than uh, what I'm having right now, going to work from nine to five every day and trying to cramp all my social activities in the weekends. Yeah, you wanted to spend as much time as you were working doing your social things, right? <laughs> of course, yes, yes. So you started working in April. By November, you were looking to financial independence. How did you come across financial independence as a concept? Did you find a particular book or blog online? Did someone tell you about it? Uh, how did you discover it as a concept? Um, so I knew that there was this financial independence concept where you could um, earn money and technically be financially independent, but I didn't know about the retire early part. So I wasn't aware that you could really have so much money that that would produce such a level of income that you never have to have to go to work again. So I think I came across a Dutch personal finance blog that mentioned that and that was really going in depth in uh, in depth into all the uh, pension things and what kind of index funds to invest in because even though I studied economics, I was really thinking that okay, investing is hard, investing is complicated. Because all we did with the investing classes was a lot of math. So I thought that, okay, it's complicated. Let's not do it. And then I came across this blog and it was so easily formulated. I thought, okay, I think I can do this. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, to hear that as an economics major, it still felt complicated to invest because I know I, I was a science major. I wasn't in, you know, in economics or math or anything. And I thought that investing was such a big topic to learn, and I didn't know anything about it. And I felt really confused, and I was a little bit scared to to try it with my own money, especially at the time that I didn't have very much right after college. And so it's almost good for other people to hear that even if you have a background in economics, you don't feel like you have majored in how to invest. You don't get all of that knowledge right out of that college degree, right? No, not at all. So also my peers, I think that from my peers, I, only 10% was investing. And because they knew, um, because their parents were investing or their friends were investing or something like that. And so did you self-teach investing? You, you learned by reading different things online or did you hire any professional help like a financial planner? Um, no, because when I found out, when I came across this blog, I found out that, okay, it's not so complicated if you choose the, the easy way, of course. So you can make it yourself very easy or you can make it very hard. And I, I love to go the easy route. So I thought, okay, if I buy this index fund that has 3,000 companies in it and it's really spread it out and diversified over the entire economy, well, then I don't have to do my research. I can just let it be. And um, that would be the great way to start investing. And maybe when I have more time, I can do some more research and start to invest in individual companies. But I think for now, this is a very good way to start investing for a lot of people. I agree. And I found that index fund investing was like not only the quote unquote lazy way to invest, but one of the best ways to invest. You're not trying to make decisions on individual companies, which can really be a judgment call. And I felt like I certainly didn't have enough information to make those choices. But you also aren't trying to figure out when to invest and when to take your money back out, which I think is uh, really helpful for, for young people when they're investing in their 20s like you are, like I am. 
we want our money to stay in the market as long as possible. But I think a lot of individual stock investors play a game with timing where they're deciding whether or not now is the time where the stock has gone high enough that they're going to sell it or it's gone low enough that they need to get out of that company because it's going to keep going lower. And with index fund investing, I love it because it's so easy. I don't have to move my money around. I don't have to make decisions. In fact, it helps in situations like right now when we're talking for this interview, we've had quite a market downturn. And so my stocks are not doing as well as they were, but that is not bothering me because I'm in it for the long game. I'm not going to be taking my money out until I'm much older. So if it's going down right now, that's okay because I know it's going to go right back up. I don't have to make those kinds of in-the-moment decisions, which tend to be emotional. When you're thinking about stocks, a lot of people, you know, it's you're seeing your money go away. You're seeing something tell you, oh, you lost this many hundreds, this many thousands, this many tens of thousands of dollars in the stock market today. And it feels scary and you want to get out and you want to panic and just pull your money out. But when you're in this fund that you know is going to track the performance of the market, like an index fund, you don't have to be so concerned about the day-to-day volatility of the market. And I think it's also very calming to know that, okay, I won't be needing my money for my investments for a really long time. So if it if it goes down now, that's totally okay and I can handle it emotionally. I think that's also important. But I also came across this one article that said, that, okay, the best performing portfolios are the portfolios of people that have passed away. So if you're not managing your portfolio, you're doing better than the average investor. So just don't touch it, never touch it. Just keep putting money in every month at a fixed time. So you're not trying to time the market. Um, and I think that's really a, a good place to start and if you have more time if you want to invest more in different companies it's entirely up to the personal decision but I think it's a good good way to start yeah and I think especially building a financial foundation when you're trying to decide all the different things that you can do with your money am I going to invest am I going to save an emergency fund am I going to pay back my student loans There are so many options. Keeping it simple makes it a lot easier to make a choice. I think so many people have this vision that investing is so complicated, it's the last thing that they would want to do. But if you invest in your 20s, you can invest so much less money over your entire life than if you start investing in your 30s because of the power of compound interest. So let's talk a little bit about that um, choice between investing and paying off your student loans. So you mentioned in the Netherlands right now, it's 0% interest rate. Do you have any incentive or any reason that you want to pay off your student loans or are you going to defer that payment into the future? Um, so in the Netherlands, it's the case that, okay, if you don't, you're not earning any money, you don't have to pay back your student loans because it goes through the government. But if you're earning money, you have to pay back a certain percentage. But there is this six-year exception that you can ask without giving up any reason. So yeah, for now, I already uh, using up my two years until 2021. And then let's see what happens. Because the one problem is that in the Netherlands, if you have a student loan, you can not take as much mortgage as you can without a student loan. I see. So you're kind of using up some of your loan that you could have for a house by holding those student loans. They want you to pay off the loans, the student loans before you get a new loan for a home. Yes, yes. Because they are thinking that, okay, if you are getting a mortgage, then you need to have a good amount of money to be able to pay it back. 
Um, so they're saying that, okay, twice the amount of your student loan, you can lend less in the mortgage. So for me, that would be 40,000 euros. It's quite a lot. So then it would be better to to pay off the, the student loan first and then apply for the mortgage. Okay. So right now you're taking that two years where you don't have to pay it back. In that two years, are you taking the money that you would be paying towards the student loans and investing it instead? Um, well, basically, I invest at this moment, I invest everything that is left over from me. So yeah, I am. But because I can pay back my loans over 35 years, it's only 25 euros a month. So it's not a significant amount, but still it helps. Yeah. Okay. So that's also a difference between the Netherlands and the United States. That's a much longer repayment period to the student loans where ours are typically 10, maybe 15 year loan periods. So 35 years makes your monthly payment much lower. And in terms of you're saying everything that's left over, you're investing it. What do you spend monthly? Um, and then what's your savings rate typically? Um, so over 2019, I'm not sure if it's really the representable amount because, you know, I traveled for four months, but um, over 2019, I spent 8,200 euros. So that's uh, a little bit less than uh, 700 euros per month. Okay. And you take whatever you earn on top of that and you're putting that towards your investments. What was your average savings rate in 2019? In 2019, it was um, 60% more or less because I didn't have any income for two and a half months. So that brought it down by a lot because before I went on my mini retirement, it was around 80%. Okay, because that's what I was going to ask. I saw in January and February of this year, in 2020, you were averaging 76, 86% savings rate. How do you save so much money? And even getting a 60% savings rate when you're traveling for four months out of the year and you didn't have income for those four months, what are the tactics that you're using to keep your cost of living low as well as your travel costs lower? So for my cost of living in 2019, I was living in a shared apartment. So I was living with three roommates, which made my cost of living very, very low. I paid, I think, 300 euros per month, including utilities and internet and everything. And on top of that, my company gave me a leased car. So that means that I don't have any expenses for that. And besides that, I, well, on the groceries, I also try to buy generic brands, not to go grocery shopping too much. And because I was just living by myself, I'm fairly lazy with cooking. So that means that I cook once or twice a week for the entire week. And then I just eat that in my lunch break. And then in the evening when I come home, I just make some eggs with some bread. So it's really like very simple lifestyle, eating what I love and spending on what I love. So I will go on holidays and spend for four months and spend 4,000 euros, that's totally fine. But the rest of the year, I'm trying to cut down. And because in 2019, I knew that I was going on this mini retirement. So it was fairly easy for me to say that, okay, I can spend my 50 euros this evening going out to eat, or I can invite my friends over at my place, spend 20 euros, and we will have a wonderful evening. So it sounds like you've been basically taking the top three expenses that most people have, that's housing, transportation, and food, and bringing those down as much as possible. But you're still allowing yourself to have fun. You can have your friends over and you can cook dinner with them instead of going out to a restaurant to eat. 
and you are bringing food that you like to eat for lunch every day to work instead of eating out at lunch, right? And then I wanted to ask about your mini retirement budget. So you took too many retirements so far and you're only 25 years old. So let's go back to that first one. You took one right after you graduated from university before you started working your full-time job. How did you decide to do that? And how did you financially prepare for taking that mini retirement? So in the Netherlands, it's fairly normal that after your bachelor degree, you immediately have your master's degree and then you go to your job. So for me, I had my bachelor's degree where I studied abroad in the United States for four months. I studied in, in California, in Orange County, and it was, it was amazing. And it was the first time that I traveled outside of Europe. So after that, I thought that, okay, I want to go travel, see the world and explore all the places. And then in my master's degree, at the end of your master's degree, you write this thesis. And that meant that entirely the entire day from nine to five, I was in the library, I was writing my thesis. It was this big research project. Towards the end, in the summer, I was just burnt out and I decided that, okay, let me buy the ticket. In two weeks, I'll go to, to Colombia and then I'll take four months before I get to work because I don't need to go to work right now. I can take some time to relax, to enjoy. And a lot of my friends were going to, to Southeast Asia and I decided, okay, no, I want to have this experience for myself. So I want to travel alone and I want to go to South America. And I was already saving for some kind of travel. And then, yeah, I impulse bought the ticket. So that was no way back. <laughs> and did you buy a one-way ticket? You said in two weeks I'm flying to Colombia and I'll figure it out from there. Uh, well, the, the return ticket was actually cheaper. It was 60 euros cheaper. So I bought the return ticket and I actually used it because I wanted to be back before Christmas because I wanted to spend the, the holidays with my family. So you took that four months and you went to Colombia. Tell me about those travels. Where did you go? Did you travel solo the whole time? What did your lifestyle during this mini retirement look like? So the thing was that, okay, I only had a budget of 3,000 euros. And I know that, okay, for four months, that's not a lot. So I already was used to traveling in hostels and staying in hostels because I also took some city trips while I was studying and all the students, they don't have so much money. So you get used to the budget traveling. So I traveled to, to South America by myself. I've been to Colombia, to Ecuador and Peru. And I think the thing with solo travel is that you meet a lot of people very quickly. So the first day I was by myself and the first day was terrible. It was my phone got stolen. My wallet got stolen. I didn't know how to speak Spanish. And I was standing there in Bogota, the capital of Colombia. And I was thinking that, okay, I want to go home right now luckily a friend had a friend who was colombian he helped me file the police report buy a new phone all those things luckily i had my passport and then after that it was much better so i just the first day of my holiday or of my mini retirement i was sitting on a computer chatting on facebook with my friends and i was like oh i want to go home this is terrible and the next day i was like oh this is great i've made so many new friends and i I don't think I will ever return. So I think it's just traveling alone is such a great experience. And it can be so rewarding just to be with yourself and to know that you can handle all the situations and that you can really build upon yourself. So that was one of the big things that I learned then. It was such a great time. I met so many people. I learned how to speak Spanish. 
I traveled around. I also visited the Galapagos Islands. So yeah, it was it was really amazing. That sounds like a really intense start to your first travel outside of Europe and your four-month mini-retirement. I can imagine that feeling of wanting to go home and saying, nope, this is the wrong choice to make. But it sounds like you really were able to turn that around very quickly and recover from having your phone and your wallet stolen and not knowing Spanish to making friends and having a great time and speaking Spanish. Did you gain fluency in Spanish while you were abroad? Um, well, I wouldn't say that I'm fluent because I didn't take any classes or anything. It was just me talking with the people. So I have no idea about the grammar, but I know a lot of words. So I can make myself really understandable, but I don't think I speak very correctly, grammarly very correctly, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, but it helps you get through, right? I was connecting with your story when you said Ecuador and the Galapagos Islands. I studied abroad when I was in college, actually, and my trip was to Ecuador and the Galapagos Islands, and it was incredible. It was the first time I'd ever been out of the country. So I chose South America. And the reason that I hadn't ever been out of the country before is my parents weren't really that interested in travel. They kind of felt like everything that they wanted to see could be found inside the United States because we have a lot of different climates and ecosystems. But I was always really interested in seeing what was outside. So my first chance was really in college. I went on an exchange program and I lived with a host family in Ecuador. And my first host family did speak English. I had been taking Spanish since early on in school, but I had never had a chance to actually speak it with someone who was a native speaker. And so when I went to the Galapagos Islands, my second host family did not speak any English. And I had the vocabulary that I needed, but my grammar was very, very much worse than I thought that it was because I was in a classroom setting for the most part. But I was able to get around. I don't consider myself fluent, but I am conversational, I guess. But it was just the most incredible experience. And, you know, I was lucky to to not really have experienced anything rough like the the robbery that you had and I went with a group of university students I didn't know anyone at the time but I was with a group of English speaking university students so there was like a little bit of the culture from home you know that I could connect to but it was a really really huge personal development trip for me where I learned a lot about myself you mentioned gaining confidence through solo travel and I gained a lot of confidence in my ability to be resourceful and figure things out in kind of difficult situations when you really have to rely on yourself and just make it happen because when we're college kids we're still kind of used to relying on our parents to help us solve problems or we have kind of professors or other authority figures who can help us and this was my first experience being self-reliant and being independent and man how free I felt and the freedom that I got from that was incredible and I know you've written about how much you value freedom and and how free you feel when you're able to travel during your mini retirements. Yes it's really really amazing I think it's a, a great experience that you will remember forever so I would also recommend for anyone who didn't have a mini retirement or an abroad experience yet that Okay, it's very scary, but doing things scared can be a very great reward. I totally agree. Do it scared and you'll figure it out as you go along and you'll learn that there wasn't that much to be scared of. Even when the bad stuff happens, if you lose something, if someone steals something from you, you can figure it out. And there's always people who are willing to help. 
you know, I've been in some really like weird situations when traveling and people are always like, can I help you? You know, what do you need? Do you need a ride? They say it's not safe to hitchhike, but I have hitchhiked before and nobody's killed me. So it's, you know, it's worked out. And so have you traveled short term as well as long term? Um, yeah, so I, I explored a lot of places inside of Europe. A lot of my friends also went to study abroad. So they went to places like Barcelona, Paris, London. So I visited them there because it's a great opportunity to see a new city. And when you're studying, you're like, okay, we can sleep at your place. And it's a good weekend away. We have this budget airlines in Europe. So I think that I visited a friend in Milan for like 20 euros. My bus ticket to the city center was actually more expensive than my flight ticket. That's crazy. So you've done both types of travel. What is different about a mini retirement than about a vacation? Um, I think that the intention is really to, to take time away, to more intentionally take time away for whatever you're doing. So for the mini retirement, I would say that it's, for me personally, it's much more relaxed. It's not so rushed. When you're going for a holiday, you're going to a city or to a country for two, three weeks. You want to see everything. You have to try all the food. You have to see all the places. And if you're in a mini retirement, you can just say that, okay, I like this place so much. I will stay here for two weeks. And then maybe I'll stay longer. Maybe I'll go to the next place or to the next place. And you can just decide what you want to do, when you want to do it. So that's really the, the freedom that, that I experienced. And did you also feel like you were doing a test run or a trial of what your life in retirement might look like? Have you thought about what you would want that lifestyle to look like? So in my first mini retirement, I was just graduated from college. So I didn't really, uh, wasn't really aware of the financial independent movement that time. But the second mini retirement, it was very intentional in the sense that, okay, I want to travel together with my partner. Because I hope that one day we can take one year, maybe two years to, to travel the world and to see all the places. So let's see if we can actually be around each other for 24-7 in stressful situations before we do that for two years. That's such a great idea. I love that. I actually think about that when I travel a lot with my partner now and we also used to do a lot of solo travel separate from each other and when we first started traveling together I was like oh this is going to be interesting we'll see if we can do this without killing each other because you never you never know you know and and so you just have to try it out and we've never done something as long as four months so that's that's really exciting to do that with your partner. Yes it was a great experience and I think that it was also because the timing was just so great he just graduated from college so he was in this period that I was two years before and he told me that okay I want to travel but I don't think I can do it solo so first we said okay I will come visit you for one month maybe your other friends can come from one month and then let's see how long it will last but then after I start thinking about it I start thinking that okay but I think that I can take some time off from work uh, a couple of months I should either quit my job or just ask for extended leave because it's becoming more and more normal to ask for a sabbatical or something like that. So then I told him, that, okay, let's try. And I decided that I wanted to come with him either way. So that's how we, uh, we came about that. Okay. So tell me about talking to your employer about taking four months off. Did you know that you had a 
sabbatical policy at work that you could use or did you just have to come up with the way that you wanted this to work and then propose it to your boss and hope that your boss accepted that proposal? Um, so the thing is that I already mentioned to my employer, to my manager that, okay, I already did this mini retirement or this travel in South America. And my manager was actually very jealous. So he was telling me that, oh, wow, I could, I wish I could do that. So then, yeah, I talked a lot with him about that. And I think summer 2018, I noticed that, okay, my boyfriend is graduating next year and we discussed it, that we could have this time off together. So then I talked to my employer. I started mentioning it to him, like, what's a sabbatical policy? And there wasn't any policy because our company, well, it's growing, but it's not so big yet. So then I told him that, okay, I understand that there's no policy, but I knew that they were very happy with me and that I was making good revenue for them. So they wanted to, to keep me either way. Around June uh, 2019, I uh, decided with my partner, okay, we're going in September and I'll discuss it with my boss. So what I did, I work at clients normally for six to nine months, but this client was so satisfied that I stayed there for one and a half years. So what I did, I discussed with my client, okay, can you extend me until September 12th? That was the day that I wanted to book the flight. And then they told me, yes, I can extend you until that day. That's no problem. So then I, I talked to my manager and I told him that, okay, I already talked to the client and they were okay with extending me until September until I want to fly. So first I wanted to take my, my four or five weeks of holiday that I still had outstanding. And then I wanted to take unpaid leave. He said, okay, I think I can figure it out with HR. But before when I went into the, the conversation, I already decided that, okay, if they weren't going to agree, I was just going to leave the company because I knew that I had my options. And there was a lot of people that were sending me messages, for example, on LinkedIn, getting me job offers. So I felt fairly confident that I could have another job lined up when I wanted, if I came back. Um, and I, of course, have my emergency funds of a couple of months, which means that I I'm fairly confident that I can find a job. So it went really easy. And uh, I think the most important thing is to mention it to your employer beforehand. Not that you're asking them, ah, can we have a conversation? You're telling them, okay, three months from now, I would like to have four months off. And on the other hand, I think it's great if you have a plan. So for me, it was, okay, let's go think about if I really want to have this job, keep this job, what's more important to me. And I said that, okay, I really want to have this experience of this mini retirement. And I think that's much more important to me that, than staying at my job for another four months. So you didn't ask for permission. You said, this is what I'm planning to do. You had already set it up in the background. You said the client agreed. I've already asked them, this is the date that I'm going to leave. Can we figure something out? Would you like to keep me on afterwards? I'm going to take my vacation. I'm going to take some unpaid time off. I'll be back on this date how does that sound instead of waiting for their permission to make plans in your life? I really love that. I think that's a really proactive way to go about it. You decided if they said no, that you would quit and you'd be able to easily find another job. And I love that. It shows a lot of confidence, but it also shows that you didn't have the mindset that you were stuck in this job and that this job was the only job that you were going to get. You had possibilities and you had options. And I think that's something that by taking some calculated risks, some people would say that traveling, you know, for four months or taking a mini retirement in your early 20s would be a risk to take. 
But you kind of find out that those things work out. If you do the planning that's necessary for it, if you are a good employee that people want to either hire into a new company or retain in the company that you work in, you're not really taking a risk at all. In fact, you'd be risking kind of your freedom and your happiness by not going on those mini retirements, right? Yes, yes, absolutely. And I think it's also important that, well, of course, I asked it nicely to my employer, but I also presented them with a plan and I decided that, okay, this is my plan. And I didn't really tell them that, okay, I will leave the company if you don't agree. But I decided it for myself. And I think that is really a good stepping stone. It's really a good basis to have that fundamental set so that you know that you have a plan B. If they don't agree, that you're okay. Exactly. And so to financially prepare for the possibility that you would be leaving this job and not coming back into the same job, did you already have money that you were saving when you were working for the possibility of your next mini retirement? Or did you change your financial strategy to set yourself up with a little bit larger of an emergency fund for that trip? Um, so I made sure that before asking my, my manager, I had a little bit bigger emergency fund. I think currently I have one year of expenses saved just for the peace of mind. And besides that, I was already saving for some holiday expenses that I was going to make anyways. So I used that money towards the mini retirement, put some extra money towards it the months prior to that. So that meant that, yeah, it was quite easy to fund it. Okay. And what advice would you say to somebody who says, oh, I wish I could do that, but I don't know how or I don't feel like I can you know, like even your manager said, wow, that would be great. I wish I could have done something like that, but I can't do something like that. What advice would you give that person? I think it's very important that you believe that you can do it and that it doesn't have to be so big. So you don't have to take four months off. You can just start with two weeks. You can start with one month. Just take the small steps and you can you can feel if your company is open to that, if they say that, okay, you can take one month off this year, then maybe you can arrange with them But next year. It can be one and a half or uh, you can decide that when you're switching jobs, you can have an extended period between the two jobs. Um, so I think it's really looking for the possibilities within the frame that you currently have. Uh, I understand that for, not, for everyone, it's possible to go on this four-month mini-retirement every two years. And I'm not sure that it will be possible for me going forward, but I know that it's important to have your values aligned and to really think about what's important for me. What do I want in this moment? And I always ask myself that, okay, five years from now, how big is this decision? Is the decision bigger that I'm quitting my job or is the decision bigger that I'm not going on this mini retirement? And I felt that, okay, this mini retirement means more to me at this moment than my job. And that's why I took this decision. But I think it's very important for your peace of mind to also have your finances in order before you take any of those decisions. Yes, I agree. And it sounds like you were very financially prepared. You had an emergency fund that was quite large. You had already had money saved for a holiday that you were able to save more towards once you made this decision. And you had some other possibilities lined up if your employer said no, and you needed to kind of have a break to also find another job. You seem like you were really financially prepared, but you've also incorporated many retirements into your lifestyle. So you were prepared 
to make this decision and to take this time off. And that kind of informed the way that you've been preparing financially. Is that right? Yes, for sure. One big uh, part of my uh, retire early part is that I really want to travel and want to explore the world. So that means that, okay, these mini retirements are me building in some adventure in my path towards financial independence so that I'm not working towards financial independence in one straight line and, and sprinting towards the finish, but I'm more enjoying the way, just, just calmly walking, looking around and seeing what's there. So I think that, yeah, it really made me more conscious of the possibilities that are there. So I, I know that I have my mind open for any opportunities that, that come my way. And if I have this opportunity again in a couple of years, I'm sure that I will take it. You said that you were able to use four to five weeks of paid vacation time. What's standard paid vacation in the Netherlands? The minimum by law is four weeks. And then most uh, companies have around five. So I'm kind of imagining, because this would have been my reaction a couple of years ago, I'm kind of imagining American listeners saying, well, we don't get four to five weeks of paid vacation. We can't possibly take a trip of this length or even a shorter trip. And I was reading your blog earlier and saw the statistic that says for the average American, only 28% plan to take all of their paid vacation time. And so I think that this is also a mindset shift. It has less to do with the time off that's available to us in you know, our cultures or, or where we happen to live and work, and more to do with whether or not we're going to make the decisions that taking time off is important to us, that our freedom is important to us, that taking time off doesn't make you a bad employee. I think that's a lot of the culturally ingrained story that we tell ourselves in the United States is the reason that only 28% of people plan to take all of their time off is because there's an unspoken rule that if you take all your time off, you're being lazy. But if you think about it, in reality, that's compensation that you're leaving on the table. Your employer is paying you with that time off, and that's part of the package when you sign up for you know a new employment, whether there's a contract or not, that's how you're deciding whether or not the pay plus the benefits plus the time off is worth it for you. You should be using those benefits. So even with only two weeks of paid time off, you can still make things like this happen. There's ways to negotiate unpaid leave. There are definitely sabbatical programs available at certain employers. You can take a leave of absence, which is an option in some jobs as well, that gives you that those possibilities regardless. So I don't want to hear people using the excuse we only get two weeks off of paid vacation. I think that we can still do a lot with that time off in the United States. Yeah, I think it's really important that you also mention that, okay, your employer is paying you for your time off. So why would you not take that? I think in the Netherlands, a lot of people are taking the last couple of weeks of December because they're like, oh, I still have my time off. Uh, I want to use it all before the the year is over. So I think it's also a mind shift that, okay, it's important for me to rest. It's also important for me to take care of myself so that I can really do my job to the best of my abilities. Yes, I love that message too. We struggle with burnout in American culture as well, where we look down on people taking time for recovery. It's not considered very important. And if you think about it, if you want to be more efficient and more productive at your job, you actually need to take more time off to recover. You need to make sure that you're sleeping and that you're 
having time for, you know, relaxation activities so you can actually get your focus back. Because if you're working, you know, 60, 70, 80 hours a week, you're not going to be productive. You're probably going to be about as productive as someone who works 40 hours a week because you're not taking the time off. I think that's really important to consider when we have this time off that we don't take or we're wishing that we have more time off. It's uh, an investment in yourself to take your time off. Can you tell me about your second mini retirement when you went to Central America and you went for four months with your partner? What did you guys do while you were there? So we started out in Curaçao. It's a small island uh, close to Colombia and it has been a colony of Netherlands in the past. So we celebrated his parents' 40-year anniversary there, which was really great. It was a lot of chilling, laying on the beach, and we had this giant villa. So yeah. It was really what I needed after the couple of months of hard work. So really recovering and just relaxing. After that, we went to Bogota, to Colombia, because I wanted to show my partner what I had seen there. I'd made some friends there. So I wanted to visit them as well. After that, we went to Panama. And from Panama, we went up towards Mexico by bus. So we used public transport, covering all the countries in between. So yeah, that was an an amazing experience. Wow, that sounds like a really great long-term experience. And you had friends that you could go back and visit from your first mini-retirement. Yes, yes, it was really great. My friend, she has a a nice house just outside of Bogota. She took us and she has two dogs. So because I don't have any dogs in the Netherlands, but I really love them. So it was really good to spend time uh, with all of them. After Mexico, we spent a week in um, in Florida, in Orlando. So we visited all the Disney parks. I love Disney so much and I and Harry Potter World, of course. Harry Potter World is great. I just went for the first time like two years ago to Disney and to Harry Potter World like as an adult. And I was like, oh, this is for kids. I'm probably not going to like it. It's very commercial. I like, you know, really cultural travel and things like that. And I loved it. I had so much fun. I didn't expect to like it, but I really loved it. Uh Yes, yes, me too. And it was actually my partner's ID, which makes it even better because he knows how much I love it and how much I love spending time there. So it's just that, yeah, we had the greatest time in all the countries. It was amazing. And we met some friends uh, in Mexico because they were having their holidays there. And it was my partner's birthday when we all met. So that was such a great experience. We spent a couple of days together. And besides that, we did a lot of public transport. We did a lot of Spanish. Now my partner also can speak a lot of Spanish, uh, which is also great. And overall, it was a really relaxing experience. It was different uh, compared to when you're traveling alone because you're uh, less inclined to meet people and to reach out to people because you're already in your, your comfort zone. Um, but despite that, we still made a lot of friends and we met a lot of nice people. So that was a great experience overall. We did a lot of the cultural things and then we ended in Disneyland. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I think that's that's such a great insight as well that traveling solo and traveling with a partner or with a group of friends is completely different because you already have your built-in social group when you travel with someone else that you don't necessarily have when you're solo and you're looking to meet people and you're looking to find people to travel with and to talk to. So that's a difference that you noticed between your first and your second mini retirement. Yes, for sure. Yes, it was very different. Besides that, and it's also a little bit more relaxing because you're with two persons that can figure things out instead of one. 
So that makes it really nice. I have to say that in the beginning, my partner really didn't speak any Spanish. So I still had to negotiate with everyone and I still had to figure everything out. But as time went on, he also could help. So that was great. Yes, I can relate to that as well. We went to Costa Rica recently and I speak Spanish. My partner speaks French. So I handle all the South America, Central America (laughs) travels that we do. And when we went to France last year, he spoke all the French. So we kind of traded off, but it's, it's helpful to have more than one language in the relationship. Did you plan any of your travels prior to going on the trip besides the 40th anniversary? Were you on a schedule or on an itinerary or did you take it as it came and made your decisions based on what you liked and where you wanted to go next once you were in the moment? Um, So most of our decisions we made in the moment. So we planned our trip to Bogota to visit my friends and then we booked our flights. So we knew when we were going to fly to where. So we booked our flight from Colombia to Panama. And then we booked our flight from Mexico to to Florida. Um, But that's it. So in between, you were just deciding, we like it here. We're going to stay for a couple of days. Or, you know, we've seen everything there is to see. Let's move on and go to a new place. Just as you felt like doing that. Yeah, most of the times it was just that, okay, I like it here. Let's stay another two more days. And that was really relaxed to experience that. And I really enjoyed that. The only thing was that uh, with the Day of the Dead, we really wanted to be in this one village in Guatemala. So that meant that we had to uh, hurry through El Salvador. We weren't really used to that anymore. So we were like, okay, now we need some more rest after that. Yes. Yeah, because slow travel is so different than your typical vacation where you're running around. You're not usually just trying to get through one country to get to the next unless you have some sort of event like you said day of the dead that you're going towards that sounds like an incredible experience one last thing i wanted to touch on was you're working towards financial independence with your investments but also on the other hand by building your passive income can you tell me what you're working on right now to build up your passive income so i'm investing in the In Vanguard, that means that I have some dividends coming in. It's not a lot, but it's at least it's something and it helps building my my investment portfolio further. Another thing that I really focus on is peer-to-peer lending, which means that it's basically crowd lending where you uh, lend your money to other individuals or other companies. And currently I have around 150 to 170 euros per month, this passive income coming in from my dividends and from my peer-to-peer lending. So it's just one extra way to accelerate my path to financial independence because if I I have my expenses covered with my passive income, I would on paper be also financially free. Right. And are you reinvesting your dividends right now and your your crowd lending dividends? Are you putting those back in, in order to grow your investments or are you taking those out to cover uh, your income or use them for something else? Um, At the moment, I'm reinvesting them because I don't need them. And I think that they can accelerate my path even further. So I'm trying to stay as much invested as I can right now. And if I ever need it, that I can just get it from the website. Awesome. Let's move on to the rapid fire style questions. So I'm going to ask a couple of rapid fire questions And you can just give me a quick answer, whatever first pops into your mind. Okay? Okay. Yes. What does freedom mean to you? Um, It means having options. 
so that you can decide what you do, when you do it, and uh, with whom you do it. So freedom of place, freedom of time, freedom of money. What would you do if you could retire right now? Um, if I could retire right now, I would just travel the world for the first couple of years, for sure. What do you think you do after that? Um, I think that while I'm traveling the world, I think after one and a half or two years, it would be great to also start some passion projects. So just to try different things. Let's see what I like, what I don't like. Of course, I would still love to stick to blogging because I love to write. And that would, I think that would suffice for the first 10 years for sure. What would you do if you could never retire? Um, if I could never retire, I would probably opt for some kind of part-time work where I could just work part of the week or part of the year. So have this uh, mini retirements built in very regularly or just work two or three days out of the week. And if you could go back in time, what one piece of financial or lifestyle advice would you give yourself in your early 20s? Um, I would probably tell myself that investing doesn't have to be difficult and it can be fairly easy if you just take the right approach. You don't have to invest in all the different companies. You can take the easy route and keep it fairly simple for yourself. That's great advice. Thank you. Um, where can everyone find you online to learn more about your story? Um, so I blog over at radicalfire.com and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at the Radical Fire. I'll link to those in the show notes at 20free.co slash episode 42. Thank you for being on the podcast, Marjoline. I want this to be more than just a podcast for listening to, so I'm making it a do-cast, where you're getting information from the podcast that you can take action on to create real outcomes in your life. I call these power moves. If you implement even one of these tactics into your life, you're taking a powerful step towards finding your freedom. What are some power moves we've learned from this conversation? Here are seven. Power move number one, just start investing. Investing doesn't have to be difficult. Even Marilyn thought that investing sounded hard, and she was an economics major in college. However, once she realized that there was a simple way to invest and get great returns by investing in index funds instead of individual companies, she found out that investing can be easy. The important part is to start and to keep your investments simple. Power move number two. Lower your big three expenses. Most people's big three expenses are housing, transportation, and food, and those categories take up the majority of most budgets. If you keep those expenses low, you can afford to save more money for retirement and for living your ideal life. Marjoline saves 60 to 80% of her income and only spends about 700 euros a month, which is 820 US dollars per month. She saves money on rent and utilities by sharing a house with three roommates. She saves money on groceries by preparing her meals ahead of time, batch cooking twice a week, limiting her trips to the grocery store, and buying generic brands. Her company even pays for her car so she doesn't have transportation expenses. Check out episode 37 for more ideas on how to save on your biggest three expenses. Power move number three. Take some calculated risks. If you don't take risks, you won't be rewarded. Once you take some calculated risks, you'll find that they work out if you do the necessary planning. If you're a good employee that people want to hire, you won't have trouble finding a job after you take a career break. 
By being financially prepared with an emergency fund, retirement savings, and cash savings, you'll have a lot of options to take calculated risks and do things like taking a mini-retirement. In reality, you're not really taking a risk at all by taking a mini-retirement. You're risking your freedom and happiness by not taking a mini-retirement. Power move number four, do things scared. Rarely does it feel like the right time or the perfect time to do something, especially something scary. That's why we just have to do things scared. I urge you to do something that you've always wanted to do, even if you're not 100% sure that it will work out. Doing things scared can give you a great reward. Once you take an action that you were scared to take, you'll learn that you can figure it out and that there will always be people who are willing to help. Doing things scared will build your confidence and make it easier to take calculated risks in the future. Power move number five. Present a plan. Don't ask for permission. This is similar to asking for forgiveness, not permission. If you come up with a plan of how you would ideally like things to work out, you're much more likely to get what you want. Marjolein talked to her client to extend her contract to her departure date instead of asking her boss for permission first. She came up with a plan and told her boss that this is the date I'm leaving, I'll be back on this date, how does that sound? While she asked nicely for unpaid leave, she also put in the work ahead of time to set everything up with her client to make it easy for her boss to say yes. She also made the decision that she would quit if they said no, although she didn't tell the boss or the company that. Power move number six, slow down on the path to early retirement. Often, it seems like early retirees are sprinting towards the finish line and just trying to bring the 40-year retirement goal closer by smashing the same amount of work and stress into a shorter timeline. However, early retirement is not a race. There are many ways to enjoy your journey to early retirement. Mario Line is not sprinting towards early retirement, although she plans to reach it in just 10 years by the age of 35. By taking many retirements along the way, she's staying aware of possibilities and stopping to enjoy the journey of life. Power move number seven, take your paid time off. Only 28% of people take all of their paid time off. Are you one of them? If not, you should start taking all of your time off. We have this cultural idea in America that taking all of our time off means that we're being lazy or not good employees. But here's the truth. Your time off is part of your compensation. So if you don't take all of it, you're leaving money on the table. You could use your time off to rest, recharge, and maybe even take a mini retirement. That is the seventh and final power move for my conversation with Marioline from Radical Fire. Do you want to finally feel good about your finances and have a stress-free plan to create a life you love? It's time for you to reach your biggest money goals, like paying off debt, building up savings, and using your money to create your ideal life. As a money coach, I will help you gain clarity about what freedom looks like for you, develop a strategy to get there, and overcome your money roadblocks on the path to financial and lifestyle freedom. Let's hop on the phone. During our free 15-minute coaching call, we're going to develop a vision for your ideal life and how your finances fit in. Not only are you going to get massive clarity, you're also going to get a free spending plan spreadsheet just for booking the call. Visit 20free.co slash moneycoaching to get your free money coaching call and budget spreadsheet right now. That's the word 20, F-R-E-E dot C-O slash moneycoaching. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you're subscribed to the Find Your Freedom podcast on whatever app you're using to listen to this episode. 
do me a favor and also leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Go to 20free.co slash iTunes to be redirected to the page on Apple Podcasts where you can leave your rating and review. I really appreciate it. If you think this episode would help someone you know, please share it with a friend. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Find Your Freedom podcast. My name is Becky. You can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at 20freeco and sign up for free resources and email updates at www.20free.co. That's the word 20, F-R-E-E dot C-O. I'll talk to you next week on another episode of the Find Your Freedom podcast.